Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. This is the Let's Do the Right Thing podcast. Curated and presented by Adam Hopkinson. Hello and welcome to the LDTRT podcast, Let's Do the Right Thing. A podcast helping you see where industry leaders and legends have started with a new direction. And well, done the right thing along the way. Today I'll be talking with Duncan Tickell and asking specifically about a journey to date and what the best and worst things have been about it. As recent as three, four years ago maybe... All the focus has been on around declining circulation and how much smaller the industry is getting rather than how much bigger the total footprint is growing. That has created for both magazines and for news brands a real backfoot narrative over the last 10, 15, 20 years. I'm Adam Hopkinson the host of this podcast and the founder of LDTRT. For those of you who don't know us, we're a specialist consultancy set to transform businesses by delivering best practice and excellence in the world of digital media. We also have a passion for blockchain. We have a couple of thanks to give off straight off the bat. Um, it's been a delight working with Radio Works to get this project running and it wouldn't have happened without them. I also have to thank James Carey for the music. My brief to make it sound a little bit like Slayer was wisely ignored. And of course, thanks to Duncan, whose journey through media from Centaur through to Immediate Media and now more recently founding a consultancy called Alchemist Media has always been about showing advertisers and publishers how to do the right thing in print media. It's a pleasure to have you today. Thank you for coming. Thanks, Adam. As by the way, also not forget about the work you do for Solus Club uh, here. So thank you for that as well. <laughs> That fun time that we spend. <laughs> so print media still has a future. I mean, the magazines I tend to buy are quite niche. No, not, not, not like that. Uh, juxtapose for contemporary art, uh, maximum rock and roll for, well, I guess ma- maximum rock and roll news, uh, inked for an ever-growing interest in tattooing, etc. But the media remains strong for me. When you expand into broader categories, when you've done that across your, your career previously, um, do you still see strength here? Look, I think the the first thing I say is that, that that I wouldn't just call it or pigeonhole magazines into print media. I'd call them magazine brands, uh, and uh, because clearly the future of magazine brands is around diversification and not just relying on the very very traditional channel of print. Uh, but beyond that, uh, I think what's really clear and it's really interesting the examples that you give uh, is that if you look at the magazine sector, rather than being niche. What you are seeing is the most resilient brands are specialist. Uh, And specialist can be some quite broad categories, right? It can include TV listings. It can include news and current affairs, uh, categories that are doing incredibly well at the moment. Uh, But the unifying factor for success seems to be where you're tapping into a consumer interest or a passion. 
And those brands have been a lot more resilient over the years, which was one of the reasons why Exponent Private Equity invested in BBC magazines when they first created Immediate Media. Uh, because when them and the management team took a look at those brands, we saw the resilience uh, of special interest was so much greater than the generalist market that we thought there's a real opportunity to take an incredibly stable platform in print that was deeply profitable, but then transform it by merging or breaking out into other channels. So, you know, as a sector, uh, I haven't felt more positive than I have for 20 years now when you see the successes, not just with immediate, but around the market. Wow. Okay. So aside from immediate media, then obviously, who clearly got it very right under your guidance, um, who do you think is getting the transition from print to digital, and for rather the diversification from print into digital? Right. I think there are a number of examples at the moment, actually. Um, so uh, Hearst are back into revenue growth. Interesting there. They're doing very different things to immediate. Uh, they're doing a lot of leveraging their brands, uh, licensing brands. Uh, moving into heavily into to other categories like social. Uh, I think you look at Dennis and indeed Bauer uh, in the motoring space. Both of those are moving very heavily into transactional, uh, uh, into the transactional space. I mean, Bauer have had a, an insurance operation for a number of years now. Dennis more recently with their with their buy a car proposition that's actually selling physical cars. Um, there are a number of publishing groups that are doing some really interesting stuff in terms of diversifying. Future, not so long ago, mm. in the absolute doldrums, now at record highs on their share price as a, as a result of a very, very deliberate move into e-commerce yeah. uh, and transactional revenues based around their editorial content. So uh, I think the, you know, the bottom line is there is a lot of success out there and it's all about the diversification. So it's about being more than the sum of the parts, I guess, about bringing a brand together, having it multiple platforms that it's operating and actually having it so that whatever message it delivers to the consumer can actually be then finally delivered with a transaction. Or, or, or any number of things. So I think that the, the, the important word there you used, Adam, is consumer. It's those organisations that have a deep relationship with a consumer who can then think where to best... Uh, support that consumer's journey. So you go back to the immediate example. Um, you know, immediate very much started out with its with its centre of gravity in print and direct relationships with consumers through selling physical copies of magazines to them. But then moved into both transactional opportunities like uh, financial services products or holidays, for example, across Radio Times. Uh, it connects brides with venues in terms of finding the perfect place to get married in the weddings portfolio and has the market leading uh, transactional platform for connecting brides with venues in something called Hitched. Uh, and then very interesting, more recently, has actually gone into TV shopping with two TV channels, something called Jewelry Maker and Sewing Quarter, where it's actually all about showing consumers on uh, television how they can make the, the the crafting things they want. So in, so in quarter, we'd sell a lot of quilts, sewing machines, and show people how to do great stuff, and then they will buy the kits from us. So I think it's where you understand the consumer, you work out where you can have a relationship with that consumer. Uh, and clearly, when you've got those deep relationships, let, let's not forget the traditional models such as connecting advertisers with those consumers mm. as well.
Um, how are your uh, jewellery making skills these days? Oh, uh, fantastic. Uh, excellent. <laughs> I'll make a mean pendant. <laughs> well, I shall be buying one later, no doubt. Um, when, when did you see the, the, the potential for things to diversify? So magazines to start incorporating digital platforms. And then again, from that, how those digital platforms became an even bigger enhancer of the original brand. Uh, I really, I shouldn't admit. No, to, you did. You saw it. You spotted it, right? Well, well <laughs> ironically, you know, but, but before my, my time with Immediate, uh, the longest place I'd spent was was with Dennis Publishing, uh, and I was with Dennis right through until sort of the mid two thousands, and and really, it was at the end of the. It was as early as the end of the nineties and the early two thousands, when it we were a technology publisher, right? So we could see the impact that the internet was having. Uh, I, I launched my first digital proposition, a, a video games portal called computerandvideogames.com. I used to love CNVG. CVG.com, yeah, what I a legend. I grew up with the magazine. Bok, do you remember Bok? <laughs> no. Uh, <laughs> yes, I remember Bok. <laughs> Bok was just an exclamation that, that, that was littered throughout the magazine, meaning cool. Uh, but but CVG was 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 a very early trailblazer uh, from a digital perspective, and actually we were doing some interesting stuff way back in the early two thousands, like uh, video game downloads for money, yep. like. Uh, downloads transactionally based downloads so you can either have a crap one that's ad funded or a really fast one if you paid us some money right so starting to diversify as early as then now uh you know we did not get the traction that we're getting today back in the early 2000s but i think the thinking was there uh, and it's really just taken some time for for those activities to get generate the kind of scale and the kind of revenues that have put magazine businesses back into growth. As, as a very nerdy kid um, and a Spectrum owner, I had your Spectrum, which was published just around the corner from here, I think. And that and CNVG were the two highlights of my month. So uh, thank you for that. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't realise I had to thank you for that, but uh, there we go. Um, I do feel that you were a bit of a head of the game, though, in um, the diversification of a magazine portfolio into online. Did you see it? Did you did you spot it coming? Did you how, how did you how did you deliver that vision into the rest of the business? So um, we certainly spotted it early, and I think most magazine publishers spotted it early. So you know, if you if you go back through the chronology, most magazine publishers were in growth until approximately two thousand, and when that post dot com bubble burst. Um, there were a variety of reasons why magazines started to go into decline. And I think most magazine publishers, right back at that early stage, understood the requirement to diversify and that digital was going to be the future. Um, some, some, less, some more so than others. I think what really made people stand out was those that were prepared to invest uh, and there was a lot of reticence in, in our industry at the time because a number of people had gone very early and got burnt in the dot-com bubble. Uh, and so very famously, organisations like EMAP pulled right back on their digital investments, yep. having lost a lot of money in, in the run-up to the dot-com bubble. Um, and so there was magazine publishers as an industry were very slow to reinvest. Um, and And I guess from my own personal journey, what really... Uh, or, or what became very clear to me is that I needed to work in an organisation that um, wasn't paying lip service to digital. So every magazine publisher was saying, we need to build our digital businesses, but they weren't investing them to a level right. that allowed growth. 
And I think the one of the biggest learnings of working in a private equity backed business is that it's not impossible to achieve material growth without investment. Um, and so that's why I took the decision to to leave the safe environment of very established publishers uh, back in the uh, late 90s. Uh, in 98, great year to do it. Uh, I was not 98, sorry, in the, in the, in the late uh, 2000s, uh, 2008 to be precise, so that in the, right in the teeth of the recession. Oh, yeah. um, but it was the right thing to do because it was a time when uh, we had owners who had the vision to understand that you cannot grow a business without actually providing the primer, which is investment. Right. Uh, and it, it was exactly the same thing with Immediate. So Exponent, our owners at Immediate, bought this very cash-generative business um, and didn't take profits from it for the period of their ownership. Uh, they allowed us to reinvest those profits to, to, to grow the business that we have today. Uh, and for the record, or, or grow the business that Immediate is today, having recently left that business. But on every measure over the period of exponents ownership, the business doubled. So be that employees from 724 up to 1,350 or so, more now. Uh, be that profitability, which went from 20 to now north of 40 million and be that turnover, which went from a little north of 100 million to well in excess of 200 million. And, and that was achieved through a number of factors, but investment was a, bit, was a big part of it. Wow. And if the investment has then encouraged the, the, the print publishers to diversify what they're doing into other areas, most notably online, and there's been a decline in print circulation generally over the last 19 or so years, how, how do you think things are going to look in 10 years' time? Are, they, are we going to have... A magazine industry still, or will those brands have fully migrated into other platforms? I think there's a lot of life left in print magazines. Uh, I think it will be those with special interest characteristics, uh, with resilience. I think some circulations will, will will continue to gently decline, but 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 we're certainly not seeing the rate of decline uh, that we saw between sort of five years ago. And and the titles that have suffered the most are those generalist titles. So if you think about some of those women's weeklies or certainly the lads' magazines where they're serving up the kind of content that you can find anywhere that now is being yeah. provided on social platforms, that's being provided through news outlets. And, and therefore, there will be a residual part of the market that people are um, in, still incredibly hungry for, for the information, still like to consume it in the format that is print, um, so I've no doubt it'll be a little bit smaller, but I think that what you're now seeing across a number of businesses is that that level of decline is slowed so much that the growth in other areas and ways to leverage the relationship you have with your consumers is now more than offsetting that decline. Do you, do you think there will ever be a, a green issue on the, the paper production or disposability of magazines? Well, I think that's a really interesting question. It actually is a very small sideline uh, of one of the things that I'm hoping to achieve in my new business, Alchemist, actually. So there's no question that consumers are starting to question uh, waste within the industry. So if you think about uh, children's magazines, there have been questions raised around cover mounts and the use of single-use plastics. And uh, certainly speaking from the the uh, experiences I had at, at Media, I know there's a tremendous amount of work being done to 
uh, to, to actually address those issues. So immediate were right at the forefront of reusing cover mounts, i.e. When, on unsold magazines, taking them back in for use in the future. Uh, they're looking at a number of other initiatives around overall carbon footprint. Um, and it's a subject that's very, very, very close to my own heart, actually. I have a, a number of members of my family work directly within that sector, uh, including uh, one of my siblings who, who runs a leading uh, sustainability not-for-profit. Uh, and one of the things that I'm looking for... Um, for Give him a plug, go on. Gu- guinea pigs on. Guinea pigs on. Uh, no, one of the one things I'm looking for... Uh, for Cover-mounted for... guinea pigs. <laughs> no? <laughs> OK. Uh, is, is somebody to put their hand up and say they'd like to do some work around sustainability okay. with, with myself and my, my, my siblings' organisation, um, which uh, I, I really think... Uh, would be an interesting way to to start to not just talk about doing something about it, but really to put some actions in place. Well, that's great to hear. I mean, it, it does frustrate me immensely that, that we, we use, I don't know whether I should really be saying this actually or not, but, but certainly for our children, you know, the, the kids' magazines are a little bit of a bribe for them. You be, behave and you get this. They're only ever interested in the cover mount. So actually that bit gets played with and the magazine, even though that's got all the content and more probably um, so they will exist for longer, they don't use it. It's crazy. And that part of the dilemma about where, where children publishers find themselves, which is they know that the power of the cover mount will buy or, 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 or result in the success or failure of an individual magazine sale. So um, it's, it's it's a tricky issue, but one that, that, that I think the industry... Um, or, or certainly immediate are starting to address, but there's plenty more to be done. Wow. And is, is Alchemist going to help? Can I call it Alchemist? Or do you can, I, no, you can absolutely call okay. it Alchemist. Um, uh, and Alchemist is setting out to that's help one of that, 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 that is one of the strands that we're hoping to be able to support publishers with. Fantastic. And it's been adopted and received well? So uh, I'm in very early stage okay. discussions with a couple of organisations around whether that's something they'd be interested to take on board. Well, I think it's something that people need to be paying attention to. Well, it's, 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 you know, it's very much like the issues, if you think about our industry, around um, diversity and inclusion over the, the, the past year, which is that there has to be a real will uh, right at, to the top of the organisation, and it has to Im- be imbued in the culture of the organisation that you want to do something about it. And genuinely, I think there is no bigger challenge facing the next generation at the moment. And therefore, it is something that, um, if it is ignored for too long by by um, magazine the magazine industry, the consumers will not let them get away with it. Good. I think it's the right thing. Um, talking about direction, I guess is a little bit of a segue back to to you here. Um, you could probably post rationalise your career to date, but what, was it a deliberate trajectory that you took to go through the publishers that you did to then come and launch yourself as a consultancy to the space? Uh, I would say it would be a complete lie to say it was a design from the start. <laughs> uh, but what it what I would say it's it was the first honest answer I've ever heard for that question. I think I <laughs> deliberately planned. <laughs> uh, but but it was a mixture of what I what, what I would call is it will call out is a mixture of serendipity and then some deliberate actions. So uh, I absolutely did not start out to to, to and go through university to become a media salesperson. Uh, but when I graduated in 91, if you looked in the back of The Guardian, that's the only jobs that were going. Well, I found my job in The Guardian as well. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, so I fell into that as a career. And I've, I, I, I'll, I'll be brutally honest, the first 18 months, 
I still very much saw it as a stopgap. I, I, I saw it as an extension from university, and I, I think Andy Morley, who we both know, yes, described indeed. it as being like university but with better money. <laughs> yeah, although when I started on three grand at <gasps> Centaur... Oh, my word. In, 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 <laughs> the Morton, kids of today. 1992. <laughs> Good God. Three grand plus commission. Wow. <laughs> it, was, uh, it didn't feel like you had a lot of money. However, um, I think... It didn't take that long. It took about 18 months to realise that actually uh, there were some really interesting career opportunities within the publishing industry. It was a time of great growth. Uh, if you were talented, career progression was quick. Um, and it, there was a very clear line at Dennis to publishing, which took me to general management, which right. was where I wanted to be. Uh, and so so really, I'd say that the, the, the design piece came in about 18 months later. Um, and you know, spending uh, 11 years working at Dennis, uh, working with Felix, who was very passionate about doing your own thing, who was very honest with employees that you'll never get rich working for him because it was his business. Yeah. Um, that very naturally led to there will come a point when, when I want to go off and do my own thing. Uh, and a very logical step was to go off and be a part owner in a business in a private equity back venture. Uh, and, you know, now Alchemist Media is very much the, the next logical step, which is to move into a portfolio based career working for a number of organisations, but it about being your own thing. Fantastic. And are you enjoying it? Loving it. Wow. Absolutely loving it. Um, what was the best bit of advice that you picked up on the way that's led you to going out on your own? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I think the the best piece of advice uh, that that anyone can give anyone is around um, getting up in the morning and wanting to, you know, achieve the very best that you can in that day. Um, and uh, that was a very, very early learning, which is if you're not motivated, just find something fresh to do. And, um, you know, we, we had a, a, an awful phrase at immediate, but slight, slightly cheesy, but, but nonetheless a, a real truism, which is, you know, how do you create a motivated workforce? You hire motivated people. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you're doing yourself an injustice and also the organisation you're working for, if you don't feel like that, uh, when you wake up in the morning and 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 ultimately that's why I've moved on from immediate and set my own thing up. I loved it. It was an amazing business. There is no question in my opinion that it is the best magazine media business out there at the moment. But I wasn't getting up in the morning and being challenged to the same degree that I was when I first started out on that journey in 2008. Not surprisingly. So uh, so, so that would be my advice, is just make sure you get up and you want to go to work, because if you do, you do great work. Yeah, you can't really argue with your employers or your team or anything like that when you are setting out on your own either, can you? It's... No. <laughs> and, I, and I think that, that, that so many people don't feel that in the morning, don't get up and want to, to, to achieve the very best, and they're cheating themselves out of a, of a, you know, a much more enriching career. Mm. And what's the biggest mistake that you've seen the industry, mate. I don't want to call out any individuals, but something that was just wrong. If I talk very specifically about my industry, which was the magazine media industry, without question, the biggest mistake was allowing the narrative to solely focus uh, 
for a very significant period of time on on print circulations. You know, for a long period of time, consumer magazine businesses have been growing their audiences. Uh, but the headlines really from those early 2000s right through until probably as recent as three, four years ago, maybe, all the focus has been on around declining circulation and how much smaller the industry is getting rather than how much bigger the total footprint is growing. And that that has created for both magazines and for news brands a real backfoot narrative over the last 10, 15, 20 years. And it's just great that the, the industry has got the spring back in its step and is back in growth and is actually articulating that growth. But boy, what a missed opportunity those 15 years in the middle were. And here you are to show those opportunities to everybody else out there. Indeed. Absolutely. Indeed. Best of luck with Alchemist Media. Thank, Thank you very much for coming in. Thank you, Adam. Been great fun. It has. It really has. To hear more, subscribe to the show. And why not leave us a nice review while you're there? as it helps others find us. Let's Do the Right Thing was devised and presented by Adam Hopkinson and was a Maple Street Creative production. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.